Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Troy Ferguson. God is good, isn't he? All the time. So we're going to do something It's kind of uh, hopefully kind of fun and interesting today. I'm speaking if you, that's kind of obvious at this point. Um, you know, throughout the, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus, when he teaches, he, t- he taught often with parables. And parables were, were illustrations that made sense to them in their day and their age on uh, a teaching or an, a, a concept that they could relate to, and it would be a, a leadership or a life skill or a biblical principle that would be taught through an illustration. And today, uh, we're going to do that as well. Um, I actually believe if Jesus lived right now in today's day and age, I believe that he would be a filmmaker or novelist because Jesus was a phenomenal storyteller, and the way he would tell stories, he would actually bring people to a place that they would be um, uh, enamored with what the story was, but yet at the same time have a teaching in that process. And uh, because I enjoy that kind of stuff so much, we're going to do a little bit of that today. So uh, hopefully that everybody here will have some background in this. And let me just ask right as we begin. How many of you here have either played baseball or softball uh, or had a family member who played baseball or softball? Raise your hand. Played baseball or softball? Okay. How many of you have just watched someone play baseball or softball and you've enjoyed baseball, softball at some point in your life? How many have no idea what baseball is? Okay. Well... The illustration that I have today is, is a parallel with a biblical story and with a baseball story. And if you don't follow baseball, I'll just try to walk you through it so you get a, a grasp on what we're going to be doing. The title of the message is, It's Your Turn Now. It's Your Turn Now. We're going to talk about the story of Gideon, and, uh, and, and we'll just get right to it. Now, Gideon, let me give you a little bit of backstory on Gideon's story. Um, Gideon and the Israelites... We're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. In, in Judges 6, it talks about what they were doing and responding improperly in different situations. And there were several years, I believe seven years, that they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. During this time, the Midianites would come and they would destroy everything that they were producing. They would steal their crops, uh, their cattle, and, and different things. They would, they would not only steal it and take it for themselves, but they would often destroy what they did have. So the Israelites were just bullied and bombarded from the Midianites. In, in Israel's camp, right, in their home area, the Midianites would come and just destroy and take all that they were producing and, and trying to live off of. In this story, uh, Gideon comes on the scene. Now, the story of Gideon starts in Judges 6. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the the oak that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Right right there, I want to say that when when Gideon is is threshing the wheat, the the reason that it was done in a wine press is because it had to be hidden. Because if they would do it out in the open, which is typically where this kind of stuff would be done, that would have been seen by the enemy, the Midianites, and probably taken uh, retrieved, stolen, destroyed. So they were, he was doing this in a wine press, which was in a more hidden area. So in verse 12, we know all this was going on, and, and uh, the, the Israelites are actually hiding in caves to try to remain safe, to try to, to stay away from where the Midianites were. So that's what's going on here. Verse 12, this is what, what it says. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I know those of you that have grown up in the church, been in the church before, you've heard many messages on this, but this is a, a truth that we see in the Bible and we, we believe it even today that whenever we feel, okay, the, if the Lord is with us, if God is on our side, why does this happen? Whatever it is, whether it's job issues or relationship issues, whatever it might be, the, the common response is, okay, Lord, if you're with me, if you're for me, why is this happening? Moving on to verse 14. The Lord turned to him, Gideon, and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Again, he responds, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So we know right away that, that Gideon's perception of himself is relatively insignificant. He has such an insecurity of himself that he says, well, okay, you want to do something significant? You want to accomplish something uh, with victory? I'm not the one. I'm, I'm the least in my family, let alone in my whole, my whole clan. This isn't, this isn't uh, wisdom. Now, as I said earlier today, we're going we're gonna to do some parallel stuff. So this is the story of Gideon. This is the biblical story of Gideon. Now, I want to move over to a modern story, a baseball story of a young man by the name of Gregory. That's where, that's why I'm wearing a baseball shirt today. Gregory, Gregory is a, a young man who played baseball. Matter of fact, he played on the Little Pirates. That's where I got this shirt from, the Little Pirates. Gregory plays baseball, and he's a young man on the team. He's insignificant. His older brother plays, and his older brother has some skill, but, but, but Gregory doesn't have a lot going for him. But he's on the team. He likes being on the team. And as he develops and grows, maybe things will change. Uh, but, but Gregory's not, uh, not that skilled at this point. But one day... The coach says to Gregory, get your bat. You're pinch hitting. Greg, Gregory says, well, coach, hold on. Okay, the game is tied. We're at the end of the game. It's tied. I, I haven't done very well at the plate this year. Um, you may want to use someone else. Maybe even my brother. He, he will do a lot better. I don't have what it takes. This brings me to my first point, uncertainty. When God is calling you and God is speaking to you, one of the first things that, that often happens is we have an uncertainty of our capability of responding. As a, as a young baseball player, Gregory says, I can't, I can't do this. I'm a bench warmer. I shouldn't be the one pinch hitting at the end of a game. Both stories, we see that, that these young men are called to a higher purpose, but in both situations, they have a, uh, an insignificance about themselves that uh, is hindering them, them from moving on to what God wants to accomplish. Have you ever had a, a nudging from the, the Holy Spirit, and, and he says, I want you to speak to this person. I want you to be generous and give somebody this. And before you even pray about it, there are times that our personal limitations rise up. Before we even consider it, we say, I can't. I don't have what it takes. The first quote I want to say is, uncertainty is the first hurdle we need to overcome even before obedience. 
Uncertainty is the first hurdle we need to overcome even before obedience. See, obedience is about responding uh, and, and doing something that God called you to do. But many times, before we even get to the point of responding, we put up a, a border and say, I can't even consider that because of my ability or lack thereof. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. Now, let's move back to the, the story of Judges. I've got to go back to looking like a pastor. Okay. So now we're at Judges. Moving on to Judges 6. 17. In the story of Gideon, we see that, that the angel of the Lord has continued to tell him, you are the chosen one. You are what we want to accomplish. And then in, in verse 17, it says, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now, if you know the story, the Lord responded with multiple supernatural signs, not just one, but Three specific things that indicated that I am leading you, I am directing you, I am speaking to you, I have confidence in you that you can do this. Three signs, not just one. Now sometimes, you know, we as humanity are a little thick. And God says, I want you to do something. Well, give me a sign. He gives us a sign. I'm still not 100%, God, can you give me another one? You know, I don't think it's all that unrealistic to relate to Gideon here when we are asking for multiple signs. Now, let's move back to Gregory's story. Gregory's at the plate. Coach called him up to, the, to bat. Now, Gregory, being a little guy, younger guy, he had a pretty small strike zone. And if you understand baseball, it's, it's tough to pitch to a, a younger kid. So Gregory's at the plate. Three pitches. All balls. Three and no count. Now, logic tells you at this point, do not swing. Most old school coaches and parents here will tell you, you never swing on three and oh. Any baseball players or coaches relate? You don't swing on three and oh? But I want to tell you, there's something about this team and this coach he has a little bit of a modern mindset, and I have actually seen this with my son's baseball team. A coach will say, if you love it, go for it. See, 3-0 means you are way ahead of the count. There's three balls, one more ball, you're walking, you're on first base. Very, very rarely are you going to want to try to swing at a 3-0 pitch. But in Gregory's situation, even as a young kid, this coach has such confidence in him, he, he tells Greg, if you like it, go for it. To the, to the dismay of parents and people in the crowd, like, why would he tell him that? But Greg's like, you know what? The coach believes in me. He gave me a sign. He gave me a green light. So Gregory's at the plate. It's 3-0. He looks at the coach, and he gives him the sign that's a green light. Go for it. If you like it, go for it. The perfect pitch comes down in the middle of the plate. Gregory swings. Many people were wondering, oh, he's going to get out. He's young. He gets a nice shot up the middle. He finally gets on first base, to which the crowd cheers and roars and so forth, even though, you know, three seconds earlier they were frustrated. But now they're happy. So Gregory's on first base. So he followed the sign. 
that's the second point I want to look at. What are the signs that God is revealing to you to tell you to do this or do that? And the reason that God gives you a sign is, is, is he will walk you through something and he will speak to you to do something and move in a realm. And then a lot of times that he will give you a sign to confirm what he's telling you because he has confidence in you to accomplish what he's given you. Even if it's outside the realms of logic, just like swinging on a 3-0 and pitch and Greg, for Gregory, that's outside the realms of most coaching logic. But it worked out in this situation. The coach had confidence. And whenever God has confidence in you, he will give you a word. He will give you a sign to confirm what he's wanting to do in you. Don't ignore the signs you ask God to show you. You know, I believe sometimes we... Say, God, okay, if you're speaking to me, if this is what you want me to do, give me a sign. He gives you a sign. Like, ah, okay, just in case uh, this is just, you know, coincidence, give me another sign. Gives you another sign. Gives you another confirmation. Somebody says something to you that, that aligns right with what God's put on your heart. And like, okay, you know, we're like Gideon. We're a little dense. And it's like, God, I, I'm still not 100% sure. One more time, can you give me something else? In, in God's grace, a lot of times he will respond in situations because he's called us to something, to move. He will, in his grace, he will continue to respond in those moments. But I do want to say, don't ignore the signs that you've asked God to show you. Let's move on. Judges 7. As we continue the story of Gideon. Judges 7, we see that we're moving forward now. Gideon has the confidence. Gideon feels okay. The Lord has told me to do this, and, and we've raised up an army. We have a large group, a large army to respond to this situation, and we're ready to go. Then, in Judges 7, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. That my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may Turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Incredible. Just when Gideon feels that we have what we need to, to maybe be victorious, even though I felt that I couldn't accomplish it in my own strength, God, God uh, revealed to me that he is with me and he's going to direct me. And we pulled this army together and now he strips them from me down to a, a fraction of what it was. Okay, well, we still have, we still have 22,000, or we still have 10,000, so we, we'll still see what we can accomplish. Then God says, that's still too many. So Gideon is trying to, to, to take things to the next level, and God is saying, wait, hold on. We gotta purge this, we're not ready. So there was another challenge about how, how the, the, the soldiers would drink from the stream if they would, if they would bend down on their knees and, and lap it up like a dog or if they would cup it in their hands. And, and God said, whenever they do that, whoever cups it in their hands, that's who I want you to keep. Well, out of the initial thousands and thousands of men, only 300 remained. Everyone else went home. Realizing he started with 32,000, he ended with less than 1% of what he started with. During this process, Gideon may have felt, we're ready to move, we're ready to fight. 
But God kept saying, wait, not yet. Now, Gregory's story is progressing too. Gregory's story, remember this kid just got on first base off, the, off uh, hit up the middle. And the next batter, the pitcher was a little wild and, and he threw two wild pitches which allowed Gregory to go from first base to second base, another wild pitch, second base to third base. So Gregory is sitting, he's standing on third base. And, and he sees, remember, this game is tied. He sees all I got to do is get home. I see where I need to go. I see the end. I see how we can end this game right now. There's no outs. <sighs> okay, so I'm just, I got to hang out here until it's time. So the, the, the kid that's batting, a couple wild pitches, but he also had some good pitches, and the kid, he was fouling the ball off, and strike after strike, and then next thing you know, after a pile of uh, uh, foul balls, the kid strikes out. The, the, the player that, that Gregory was hoping would advance him to victory has just failed. So Gregory is waiting a long time, just waiting. The next point we want to look at is delays. Delays. How many times have we been wanting to do something and we feel that God's in it and God's directed us and God's revealing things about it, but it's just not coming to fruition. It's just not happening in the time that we want and we just seem to be spinning our wheels. We're not going anywhere. In Gideon's story, he, he was ready for battle and God kept saying, well, hold on, you got too many. You gotta wait. Gregory's like, I, I can see home plate. I can see the, the, the finish line, how to end this game. The kid after him strikes out. So he's just waiting. We see this, waiting, delays. The re the, both of these stories remind us that our journey often involves waiting. We must remember that delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Get that into your brain. Delay is not denial. Where you are, is not where you will always be. There are times in our life that we are in a temporary place, and that's okay. Remember this, your current destination is not your final destiny. Sometimes we are in a situation, in a, in a scenario in our life that, that God is doing something and God is equipping and, and uh, developing, but we know that this isn't the, the long-term plan. And I want you to understand that even in the times of development, that doesn't always mean that it's, it's bad or it's good. I, I remember many, many years ago when I was, I was learning how to play the piano. I learned how to play the piano for purposes of, um, I was taking a college music theory class. I grew up playing trumpet. Many of you know that it had been around several years. I grew up playing trumpet, played drums in high school, never played piano, went to college, learning music theory and things, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to learn a little bit of the, about how to play the piano to um, be able to make sense of all this stuff. So I started practicing the piano. Then I enjoyed practicing, and I practiced a lot, and I started to utilize this, and I thought, okay, God, have you dropped this into my lap to use for your purposes? And I, I started thinking, you know, uh, as a dreamer, a dreamer than I am, even as a <laughs> uh, young teenager, uh, or older teenager, I was thinking, okay, God, am I, am I going to 
take the skills of playing the piano and travel and, and take media and music and piano. And, and I remember there was a, a piano player that came to our church many times years ago named Randy Estelle. Those of you who have been around for 20-some years, you know Randy Estelle, the concert pianist, wonderful, far, far superior than anything that I could even dream of. But I remember thinking, maybe I'll do something like Randy, and I'll do that kind of stuff. And there was a temporary destination and a development that was occurring in that. And even though I thought it might be this, it might be that, God was developing it, and it is something, obviously, that I use to this day as I lead worship. But it wasn't my final destiny. That learning and that developing and the piano piece of that wasn't my final destiny. It was just a destination on the way to a, a destiny. So sometimes you look at situations that you could be in a, in a job and you think, man, I don't want to be here the rest of my life. You don't have to be. There's certain things that we are at and we need to learn and grow in, but know that that doesn't mean it is our final destiny. Looking at the story of Gregory, he is on third base. He wants to score. He wants, even as a young kid, he wants to win the game. He wants to be the one to, to win, and he's at this temporary destination. Is it going to happen? Isn't it? He just needs to do what he is supposed to do while he's on third base. Listen to the coach. Pay attention. If he, if he loses track and think, I'm just going to take matters in my own hand and just go when I want, more than likely he's going to get out and it's, the inning will be over. The situation will be over. So Gregory needs to learn and grow in that situation. Now we're moving back to the story of Gideon again. Now we're moving to Judges, a little further in Judges 7. This is after all the purging's been done and all the, all the preparation and all the confidence building all the signs, then we move to verse 15. Get up. The Lord has given the Midianites' camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, Gideon says. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets... Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and 300 men reached the edge of the camp. Now, something that's interesting about this story, if you remember back when we were first talking about the Israelites, the Israelites in their camp, in their property, the Midianites would come to their domain, their area, take what was theirs, steal what was theirs, destroy what was theirs, and take it back to their own area. To the point that they were hiding in caves, if you recall that. But what's happening right here, an interesting thing. Through the direction of the Lord, Gideon and his 300 men are now going to the camp of the enemy so before, it wasn't that they were just like, okay, whenever they come again, we're going to be ready to fight. Because sometimes we just think, okay, I just need to, I need to be defensive. I just need to be ready whenever the enemy attacks that I know how to respond in a defensive manner. But what we see here is they're actually taking the offensive where they are going to the enemy's camp. So what happens? 
We know this story where they have, in one hand, they have a, a torch in a, in a glass jar, and the other hand, they have a trumpet. Now, these are not two, they are not two instruments typically used for battle. I play trumpet, and I, you know, maybe, maybe you can whack someone with it, but other than that, there's not a whole lot of purpose for it, except for in the Bible. We do see it in the Bible, but in a, in, in a defensive or offensive manner of weaponry, a trumpet and a, and a torch isn't the way to go. So what they had is they had these, these torches, they were wrapped in, in, in glass jars, and what at the proper time, it was like the middle of the night, an unexpe- unexpected time, the middle of the night, they break these jars, light the torches, blow the trumpets, and then it, we, we saw what they say, for the Lord and for Gideon. The 300 trumpets sounded. The Lord caused the men in the camp of Midian to turn on one another. Now, we always have looked at this story and saying that's just a supernatural occurrence because there's only 300 men, and they could not have overtaken them in their might. But in the valley, because they were on a ridge, in the valley, these people were going crazy and, and just attacking one another and, and fighting one another, killing one another. And we, I have always looked at this story as that that was just a supernatural divine move of God. But here's something that, that we, we should look at. In ancient warfare, there was a torchbearer for every 20 to 30 soldiers. I've even read up to 100 soldiers. Therefore, the Midianites thought that they were surrounded by 6,000 to 9,000 to multiple thousands of warriors. So if that is accurate, the, the scrambling could have been, we are surrounded. See, if I see one up on, the, up on the ridge, if I see one torch, and my mind says, that means hundreds or, 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 of people surrounding or behind that torch. If I hear one trumpet, that indicates something. That In my mind, that's what that indicates. So they started responding in that manner. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't a supernatural occurrence going on in that, but in, in the warfare of that time, this is some of the indications. I've also, as I studied this, with these glass jars, like what was the purpose of these glass jars? Well, they broke these jars, and whenever one would break them, they would, they would, it would just surround the, the camp, this, this breaking sound, which many say that it sounded like the armor of multiple warriors getting ready to go to battle. The armor and the shuffling of armor is what these glass jars sounded like. So when the torch is lit, they see that, they think they got all these people behind them, they hear the horn, they hear the trumpet, which is an indication of something. So the, the enemy is now at, at, a, at a loss of what to do, what to respond, how to respond. As crazy and illogical as it may seem, Gideon's army held a torch in one hand, the trumpet in the other. As I mentioned, neither are weapons, but they all did it because they trusted the one leading them. Sometimes God does reveal things to us, points us in a direction that may seem a little illogical. We studied a moment ago about the swinging on a 3-0 pitch. doesn't make sense. But the coach was leading him. In this story, the people, the soldiers, trusted in Gideon because they knew he was following the direction of the Lord. 
Now, in Gregory's story here, remember, this kid is still on third base. He's still hanging out on third base, waiting for this game to be over, and he knows that he can finish it if he can just find a way to get home. There's one out. The kid after him struck out. The next batter, the next batter, good ball player. First pitch, he swings. He hits a nice strike that's down the middle. He hits a high fly ball to left field. Now, in, in most scenarios, a fly ball to the outfield, it's going to get caught. It's going to be an out. You, you imagine that's what's going to happen. So in, in this scenario, Gregory is thinking, okay, what can I do? I want to score. I, I want to finish this game. The coach has confidence in me. So here's what's happening. Gregory is standing on third base. And those of you that don't follow baseball, I'll try to walk you through this. So Greg's standing on third base. But his eye is on home. What he is looking at is his final destination. Yes, he might be in a temporary place, but he's hoping that's not his final destiny. He's looking at home. Now, in in a scenario here, the coach, which is only a few feet from Gregory, the coach sees the whole field of play. He sees the fly ball that's going from the batter. He sees it going to left field. What happens in this situation is if that kid catches it, which is likely going to happen, the coach indicates to Gregory, tag up, and you cannot go until I tell you. Now, here's what's happening in baseball. And, and the reason that, that I'm telling you this is because I, I saw this in a situation. God was showing me this picture of how it is in life which is how he reveals this stuff to me. So there's a kid looking this direction. He has no idea if that kid's going to catch it. He, have no, he has no idea if he fell over. He's relying on the coach. At the appropriate time, the coach tells him, get ready. Get ready. Now, he doesn't say, watch the ball. He doesn't say, look behind you. Watch if he catches it. Because in this scenario, he is only, if, it's, if he's, taught well. He is looking to go home. So what happens is the kid catches the ball. And as soon as the kid catches it, the coach yells, go. The coach says, now. Gregory takes off, sprinting as hard as he can, as fast as he can for home. This kid has a good arm, so he can't just kind of, you know, jog home. He has to sprint. Going by the direction of the coach, he goes home. He beats the throw. He scores. The game's over. They win the game because Gregory was following and trusting his coach. That's my final point, trust. You know, there are times that we feel our discussions with God is, okay, God, I know what you're wanting me to do, but um, I know what it takes to accomplish this, and I don't have it yet. God, you're telling me to give, and I'm not sure why I'm saying this one. Maybe this is something the Lord's saying to you. You're telling me to give this family down the road for me $100. I don't have it. I don't have it in my bank. And God says, you know what? I see the whole field of play. I see the income that's going to be coming to you. You don't know it. You don't know what's going to happen. But I see the whole field. You only see, in your vision, a destination. 
And in our life, there are times that God says, I want you to trust me. You may not understand it all. You may not grasp it all. It might, e- might not even be logical, but if you just trust me. When we trust him, and not our own comprehension, not our own understanding, we can move without the pressure of having to accomplish things because we're doing it in his power, in his strength, in his direction. Now, this last quote I want to share is a little bit humorous, but it's accurate. If at first you don't succeed, do what your coach told you to do the first time. Anybody that's ever coached or parented, anybody in sports, you know this is something that can be very accurate. Sometimes the kids know better. Sometimes the kids think, Dad doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not saying that happens in my house. (laughs) But on a regular basis, it does. But I will say this. In the same manner... When God says move, when God says give, when God says speak, when God says pray, and we go through this, oh God, well, I gotta get this ready. I gotta, I gotta get my thoughts together. I gotta make sure I say the right thing. I gotta make sure I have enough money in the bank. I gotta make sure I do, do all this in certain order. And God just says, just trust me. Okay, you, you've missed this three times now, Troy. Are you gonna get it this time? If at first you don't succeed, do what God told you to do the first time. Maybe we could say it that way. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. Coming back to this, it's your turn. Not just it's your turn, but it's your turn now. How often do we look at situations and say, someday I will? You know, I've heard a phrase most of my life, praying for a move of God, praying for God to move, praying for something to happen. Um, and it's always, it's always in the mindset of something eventually, but we're disconnected from it. Can I just tell you, I believe that we are in a move of God. We don't just pray for a future move of God. We don't just look to something that will happen eventually. We don't just say, okay, God, it it might not happen in my generation, but we're going to pray for the next generation that they see the anointing and the ministry take place in ways we've never experienced. I believe if we take responsibility and say, we are moving and we are experiencing a move of God right now, so we need to move and respond within it. Can Can I just tell you that a lot of people look at the whole whole COVID-19 situation and, and, and just look at all the negative aspects of it. I remember whenever, uh, when we first start, started doing more live streaming and so forth, a lot of churches in our community would ask me, how do I do this? We can't do this. We don't do this. How do we get our church to live stream so our people can still remain connected to our church? And I remember within the first few weeks, I was so excited because the gospel of Jesus Christ had infiltrated the airwaves on a Sunday morning through social media like we have never seen. So that's one of the things that's occurring right now because people are are home, people aren't coming out to church, people aren't coming out to different situations, so they're watching church, they're connecting with church online. Now you may say, well Troy, there's nothing beats getting together. I, I don't deny that, but I will say this. There are some people that are watching, I've seen it, 
I've heard stories of it. I've talked to people. There are people that are watching online that will never darken the doors of a church, or at least in some situations, but they're watching online. There's something that intrigues them about what you're doing and what we're doing in different churches in our community, and they're listening, and they're being ministered to. They're being prayed for in scenarios that they maybe have, would never have experienced if everything was in the traditional, normal way of doing things. There's a lot of people that are in their homes a lot more right now. So your neighbors are probably home much more than, than usual, and, and a lot of people aren't as busy as they were. So taking advantage of those opportunities and ministering, building relationships with your neighbors that you didn't have the opportunity to do before. These are two examples of, of beneficial things that have come out during this. Don't just look at it as like everywhere I go, I gotta do this and I gotta do that and I gotta complain and I gotta da da da. Pastor Jim said not too long ago about, about um, being empowered to overcome. Building and understanding the necessity of overcoming in these situations, not complaining about them, but, but overcoming. And I believe that if we, as a culture, will see that we are in a move of God right now to, to minister in the midst of this whole craziness, that we will see things happen that we were not praying for, we were not thinking about, we were not dreaming of, but we can move and respond because of where we are. We are in a destination currently. It's not our final destiny, but we are in a destination currently that God says, it's your turn. It's your turn now. I want you to speak. I want you to pray. I want you to do this. I want you to minister to your neighbor. My wife shared a story about uh, being at the grocery store Friday night about, you know, sometimes God says, I want you to go minister to this person. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, I'm not, okay, I know I prayed for you to lead me to that, but I'm not quite ready. And, and I think she said, uh, it took her seeing the lady five times throughout the grocery store for her finally to respond. But listen, that's not that abnormal. How about most of us, there are situations like, okay, God, well, if you really want me to do that, bring it around again. All right, God, that's the, that's the third time you've shown me that, uh, but I'm still not 100% sure. God, show me again. And in God's grace, he knows we're a little thick at times, and in his grace, he does reveal himself over and over and over again. It's your turn now. Look at the story of Gideon. Look at the story of Gregory. And knowing that some of the things that we do are not always common or logical, but whenever your leader, whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever your coach says, trust me, I have confidence in you, know that we can move in that. I've asked the team to, to close in the song that we ended with, because I truly believe none of this occurs without saying, Lord, I need you. We can say, okay, uh, God, you've given me strength and understanding and you've called me, but do I, um, do I move now? Do I move later? What? Just step by step, day by day.